Hi everybody, this is Hub, and I am the co-host of Tighten Up the Defense, as you may know. But what we've got for you today is not an episode of Tighten Up the Defense, nor is it an episode of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, although hopefully it is something that fans of both programs will enjoy. My co-host Corey and I were recently lucky enough to appear on a panel at Rose City Comic Con with Jay and Miles of Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, and discuss continuity-based comic book podcasting. And we thought you might enjoy listening to it. So, tell you what, without any further ado, let's ado this. Previously in continuity-based comic book podcasting. After apparently deciding they had several million extra hours on their hands, Jay Edidin and Miles Stokes undertook the Sisyphean task of wrestling the four-color world of X-Men comics into some semblance of coherence. Armed only with the ample amount of wit, charm, humor, enthusiasm, and a near Peter Corbeau-like level of understanding of the rules and details of the Marvel Universe, this titanic twosome took the death-defying dive into the domain of dimensionally displaced do-gooders and demons that is Claremontian continuity. Gadzooks! What possessed this daring duo to play Ratatosk on the Summers Brothers Yggdrasil of a family tree? Stay tuned to find out. <laughs> And we have full scale stolen your opening gimmick because we got tired of our own. So what? <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Miles. Would you like to do? Would you like to take the rhyme? Oh man, can I get these syllables correct? Uh, so oh, that. Yeah. Oh well. Black Widow's bailiwick? I'd say Black Ops is, but that's irrelevant to the synopsis. <laughs> Forged in the cacophonous crucibles of the Bronze Age, Hub and Corey broke their teeth on the high school hijinks of the original Teen Titans, from counterculture criminals to hallucinogenic helium balloons. From the humble foundations of Teen Titans Wasteland, the boisterous brothers embarked on a cross-continuity conquest, combining coverage of the new Teen Titans with the unlikeliest of mates, Marvel's Defenders. What? <laughs> So in our regular lives when we're not on the same panel, we are Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men. And we are Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. And uh, right You should make that the tagline. I, I kind of have, yeah, pretty good. much. Okay. <laughs> it's a tagline that's not a tagline. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, yeah, we're here to talk about comics continuity and comics continuity podcasting and why people would spend as much time as we do doing <laughs> that. I don't know if we have a good answer for that last one. Oh, I was going to say, I sure hope we don't too. get into why. <laughs> you know. It all started when we were very young and troubled. <laughs> right. Um, one of the things, so, so I, I think we, we should start, we, we do really deep dives into continuity. If you're not familiar with either of our shows, Miles and I tend to talk about um, X-Men arcs go deeply, deeply into continuity, and we usually cover a handful of, of issues per episode. Hub and Corey do one for one which is a whole other level of, of, of depth and detail. Yeah, honestly, we thought it would be easier at first. <laughs> so where you guys, I think, take the rather sensible approach of looking at the puzzle box, taking out the pieces, finding the edge pieces, and then filling in from there, 
we have a tendency to just look at each puzzle piece and say, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Let's try to figure out what's going on, what this might be a picture of based on this one piece. And it actually ends up being a fair amount of fun. It is, and that, that kind of brings me to, to a second point I was gonna make, and actually brings us, we, we made you, so we made you fan art. Um, what? We'd been meaning to do this for a while. Physical and fan Yeah, art. we made you physical fan art. And one of the things that we have in common as podcasters, and I think one of the things that I love most about your show is that we get really obsessed with specific minutiae and sort of latch onto it. So for us, it's like, it's like Harvey and Janet, Peter Corbeau. And for you, the front and center always seems, seems like it was picket signs. So, um, <laughs> So we made you some picket signs. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. When we see picket signs. <laughs> oh. We have Aqualad and Beaky for 2020. Oh, man. A definite improvement. <laughs> and uh, we have, for, for I think, a universal cause, uh, bring back the Pontiac Aztec. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> these are these oh. are for you to keep and, and protest Thank with you as you so see much. fit. <laughs> <laughs> We've been having a very picket signy weekend, so <laughs> I'm going to use it. With great power comes great responsibility. I'm going to try to use these picket signs wisely. <laughs> these are amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> but of course. Uh, anyway, so let's let's talk about uh, comics podcasting and stuff because that's the thing we do like too much. Oh my god, it's terrible. Never, <laughs> never, never, never become a podcaster. Mamas, don't let your babies grow up to be comics podcasters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I guess one thing that uh, we were talking about when we got together, when some of us got together before this, was we live in an era where Wikipedia can basically just do this for us. So why the hell are we doing it, and what can we offer that Wikipedia can't? That's a really good point. I'm just going. Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just ended both our shows. I'm sorry. Yeah. Wait, what Wikipedia? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so like you, an encyclopedia about candles? Are you officially here from the 70s? Uh, you've, you've got the jacket. Well, I and the turtleneck. If I was appearing on a panel, I wanted to go as a character that I decided. What if Donald Sutherland had gotten a job as a professor at a prestigious Northwestern? University in the 70s. I read that issue of What If. It was really good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Surprisingly so, in yeah, depth. You know, I, I wanted to, uh, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got some real talk for you kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's, uh, what do we bring to the podcast that you couldn't get from just Wikipedia? Um, I started to say it's more deranged, but I think if you just read a flat description of at least some of the comic books that we cover, it's at least equal levels of deranged. <laughs> yeah. Um, my my smart-ass answer is less misogyny, but... Um. Oh, that's <laughs> fair. Less racism, less misogyny. Yeah, that's that, it's such a low bar. There, there's... <laughs> Every time I'm reading one of those comic books and, and I come across something where I'm like, gosh, I wish there was more representation in these comic books of minorities or women, and then I will open it up and say, but not like that. <laughs> um, I, th I think humor, I think charm uh, <laughs> is something that I certainly bring. I don't know about you guys. Um, Giggles. Yeah, yeah, we definitely get cases of those while we are recording. Um, yes. So, just a different perspective on it. I think any kind of a collaboration, like any kind of artistic output is essentially a collaboration between 
the artist and the consumer of the art. And we kind of bring an extra step to it. And I think that our interpretations of it are to an extent unique enough that it becomes kind of a different form when filtered through our narrative. Um, One of the things that I do at my job is uh, I work in a movie theater and we print out synopses of the movies and paste them up on a corkboard so that people can read about the movies they are seeing, uh, particularly repertory titles. When I took over running the place, I was like, nobody ever reads those. And nobody still reads them, but now if you do happen to read them, they're just me talking about a weird piece of minutia of the film. And the one we have of Fast Times at Ridgemont High up right now, is just a picture of Forrest Whitaker, and it says, did you know Forrest Whitaker used to be a teenager? Me either. (laughs) I just assumed he sprang fully formed from his father's head like Athena. (laughs) But look, there he is, playing football and being a teen. Fast times at Ridgemont High. (laughs) That's all you need to know. I mean, I would see a movie based on that. Yeah, I I can't kind of not do that when I'm summarizing something. Initially, the synopses were going to be just a platform for let's get the details out of the way, and then me and Corey can talk about the weird things that we see in it. And over time, they've just kind of grown more elaborate. Yeah, I mean, and for me, like, one of the things I I really try to do in the show uh, that that I think we all do is have it not just be the comic. Because if you want it to just be the comic, you could, like, read the comic. I mean, okay, maybe not all the comic, because some of them are really hard to find. Like the Marvel Comics Present story we just did with uh, Cyclops. That's not hard to find. Well, I have maybe if you're Jay. <laughs> I would bet that you can put that entire story together for under $5 from vendors who are at the convention right now. Well, regardless. Those, those issues show up a lot in dollar bins. <laughs> regardless, one of the things I like, uh, for instance, about you guys' podcast is that it's not just the content. It's also perspectives and things that it reminds you of and the banter between the two of you. Because, I mean, you guys, like, uh, you guys grew up together. You have all these shared stories. And it's fun having the comics be a jumping off point or jumping on point, jumping off point, a jumping point of mm-hmm. some sort, uh, kind of like that thing that where Mario then can jump up and he gets on the top of the flag and gets more a points. A window, perhaps? the fireworks. Uh, eh, Portal. I, I like what I said. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's sort of a, a double-layered experience. I mean, you can be fans of the comic, but you can also be fans of the podcasters and also just, you know, get inside somebody else's head as they drink and make dumb jokes, as, as they bring the giggles. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to briefly be the... Um, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, like, the music-swelling inspirational speech part of this one, I guess. Um, so my part of my day job is that I am, I am a professional critic, among other things, and I feel strongly for obviously self-serving purposes, but also more general purposes, and the the importance of that as a field. Not to tell people whether things are good or bad, but to start and to extent curate conversation. Because Hub was talking about art, and I think especially popular art and popular culture being kind of fundamentally dialogic. You know, something that's made as part of a bigger conversation between the artist and the public, you know, and within the public, and I think even more so now when we've got the internet and creators are very, very accessible. And one of the side effects of of Wikipedia, of Marvel Unlimited, of all of that stuff, of the ubiquity of just information is that people suddenly have access to massive, massive, massive volumes of material that are largely uncurated. So I think a big part of the role that we collectively play is, is curatorial. We talk about what we want to spotlight and why we put things 
in their larger context, narratively, but also culturally. And one of the things that I, I love about you guys' show is my really, really crunchy industry history detail, or industry history stuff is all Marvel and Independence. I know very, very little about DC during the era you talk about. And the stuff, yeah, the stuff you have about the making of the issues, of the conversations that went into them, of things like the racial politics of early Teen Titans comics, are things I wouldn't have come across otherwise. And with your show, I get not only that history, but I get to see how it plays out in the final batshit bizarre product. <laughs> um, and I think that's really important and really, really interesting. And so it's, it's, it's funny, but it's also, yeah, it's well curated. It's, it's, it's getting a window into something that's not only entertaining, but is giving me a slice of information that I actually want that I don't have to wade through 90,000 pages of bullshit to find. Um, and another thing I like about um, about Yesha's show is that you have a couple different perspectives. Like one of you who's grew up on these, and then Corey, I know, for mm -hmm. some of the Teen Titans and Defender stuff, this is your first time reading some of it as you do the show, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, so it's cool getting to like discover that with you because I'll be perfectly honest, I've never read a Teen Titans comic, <laughs> but I've listened to all of your episodes. I've and read two. Defenders. Huh. And so like getting to hear your take uh, like starting out, you know, just being like, okay, well, I'm, I'm jumping into this issue like somebody was picking it up off the shelf back in the 70s or the 80s. That's rad as hell. That's part of why I really wanted to have Corey co-host the, the show with me. Uh, I wanted to have kind of a point of entry character. In, in many ways, Corey is my kitty pride. Um, <laughs> we didn't I, bring up Professor Xavier as a jerk sign. You could have <laughs> well, shouldn't, shouldn't it be Hub as a jerk then? <laughs> I, and perfectly analogy. accurate. I, I think Corey actually already has one of those signs. Aw. Rarely do I need to use it. Aw, shucks. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, the idea when I started the podcast was I wanted to make it accessible for people who are not necessarily not just into Teen Titans comics, but not into comics. The, mm -hmm. the problem with that is people who are not interested in comics probably are not going to listen to a podcast about the Teen Titans. They should. I, that's what I keep yelling at them. Um, on the street, <laughs> on the bus, whatever. We are no longer allowed in any bars or restaurants within the state of Oregon. Sorry it's about awkward. that. It's inconvenient because I'm a bartender. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I really like the idea that by looking at this one piece of culture from a very specific time, you kind of, through that like really intense focus, you end up with kind of a bigger picture of the society that created that. And one of the things we started including, and it kind of was on a lark, but I think it's kind of contributed to things, is the what's Aqualad probably up to <laughs> and yes. Uh, yes. Wong's winding road. Uh, where characters who don't appear in the comic book, we find out what they're doing in the specific month that the comic book was published. We do a little bit of research sometimes. Yes. Uh, that is uh, where the beaky on the sign comes from. He is he is the uh, pelican friend uh, that that Hub and Corey gifted to Aqualad in his probable adventures. Well, he needs one because Atlantis still has not developed decent canteen technology, apparently, and this dude needs water every hour. <laughs> <laughs> So Pelican sidekick seems obvious. Therefore, dot, dot, <laughs> dot. Yeah. But I think that's something that's really valuable that Jane Miles do too, is really looking at society at large through the prism of the comic book. And it's something mm -hmm. that the X-Men do, but it's certainly something that you help the X-Men do to a much greater extent. Well, and you've got the added 
snippet of you, you're not only looking at society, you're looking specifically at grown-ups' view of youth culture. <laughs> That's, I actually did prepare something for what it's like to extrapolate continuity based on Bob Haney comics. Oh my god. Um, <laughs> so this is a dramatic reading of a, the lyrics to a song called Speaking from the Heart by Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> I knew it! Well. The tower of power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey, ooh yeah. I'm the Macho Man Randy Savage doing the thing in the ring, the king of the World Wrestling Federation. Nobody does it better than the Macho Man, macho, macho, macho. Here's where things get interesting. <laughs> I am what I am, and I am the Macho Man. Wall to wall, Macho Man is everywhere. Doesn't really matter, because we're all in this together, and I want to help you find the light at the end of the tunnel, Macho Man Randy Savage. Soaring with the eagles and slithering with the snakes, I've been everywhere in between. I am your friend. I am Macho Man Randy Savage. Speaking from the heart, it's the Macho Man talking to you right now. Let's rock, dig it, dig it. Freak out, freak out, ooh yeah, this is the way that it is and I will be there with you when it all happens. The past, the present, and the future all at one time, all gonna climb that mountain together, and we are together forever. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Wherever you go, I will be with you. I will always be with you. Yeah, the moon, the stars, Venus, Pluto, Saturn. Yeah, looking down and covering all the bases. Dig it, dig it. Now, Thank who you. Was it? Now, who I read that really for a quickly, reason. Who was it who, it was a comedian who in the 60s or 70s used to dress up in a judge's robe and recite song lyrics really seriously? Uh, was that what the Here Come the Judge thing was for? I don't know. It was, it was, the, guy who, it was the same guy who did Meeting of the Minds. I oh, do not. Yeah. Yes. Oh, Alan. okay. Yeah, this was, uh, I, the only one I know of or that I've seen was the Shah, na, 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 <laughs> get a job. <laughs> all right, sorry, go ahead. You were saying. Oh, it's, it's quite all right. I'm happy to go into any Steve Allen-related digressions. <laughs> um, but I, I read that for a reason. Well, for several reasons. First of all, <laughs> I will read those lyrics for any reason whatsoever because they are amazing. These were created to promote a pro wrestling event. I can't stress that point enough. <laughs> We really should have prepared for this panel better. We should have written a song <laughs> and released it, maybe pressed it onto tiny little vinyl. Uh. We wrote a song about convoluted continuity. Yeah, but we not wrote this two. time. We wrote a rap. I wrote a rap. You didn't write a rap. I didn't write a rap. You I didn't can't write a rap. not put that on my you CV for my next job. That's right. That's right. But my interpretation of this song, and I can't think of another one that makes any sense, is you and the Macho Man Randy Savage have clearly done a lot of acid. Now, you're having a bad trip, and Macho Man is trying to guide you through that bad trip. But, and I can't stress this enough, Macho Man Randy Savage has also done a lot of acid. <laughs> That's what it's like trying to figure out what the continuity to a Bob Haney comic is like. I'm trying to get you through this, but I'm going through the same shit you are. <laughs> And the other reason I think that's relevant is much like that, given the Silver Age or to a certain extent Bronze Age comic book, just be having it handed to you is like being given this list of lyrics and having to come up with a backstory like, oh, okay, you and Macho Man have done a lot of acid. <laughs> 
Okay, so talking about continuity and, and being uh, under the influence of the continuity itself and the very chemicals it exudes from every continuity <laughs> pore, we cover some really weird comics. I mean, X-Men, Teen Titans, and Defenders, especially since, you know, we've been doing the era of X-Men that was in similar eras to where you guys are. <laughs> like, we're talking about the 70s, we're talking about the 80s, we're talking about comics that did not give a shit often in the best possible way. Well, and we're talking about comics that were being written in a lot of ways as throwaways, in an era before there was a collector's market in the ways that there are now, and in an era before there was Wikipedia, where it was basically like, I mean, there, there, are, there are generations of creators. One of, one of the most fun games you can play in the Golden and Silver Age is spot the up and coming creators in the letter columns. <laughs> because those were the people who kept track of continuity and those were the people who asked those really complex questions and kept track of it. I mean, you, you can see the issues where, actually you can see the issues where George R.R. R. Martin shows up. You can see letters from Kurt Busiek. You can see, like there, there are whole generations and you can go back further and look at, look at the um, Weird Tales letters columns and basically like see the evolution of, of 50 years of fantasy and science fiction in America and the UK. But I think one of the, one of the most important things about talking about this stuff the way we do is that the eras we're looking at were ones where there wasn't a centralized conversation in the ways that there are now, where there was not someone in the office keeping real careful track of <laughs> continuity, where they, the same character names got recycled four or five times. And now we're at a point where you can look that stuff up easily. Um, although, or, or you, can, you can email someone who does a podcast about it and ask them <laughs> to corroborate facts or check references, which we've done. <laughs> um, but we're looking at stuff, we are trying to forge some kind of sense and context out of stuff that doesn't have a lot of sense, that was made for people to buy for very cheap by underpaid and overworked folks, trying to get it out on a schedule, which some of which are still basically true of comics today. But, um, but yeah, without the sense of it as part of a larger and well-organized and well-documented world in the same sense that today's comics are. I mean, totally accurate, but at the same time, I feel like we have to emphasize, in the 70s and 80s, comics were weird. And I think that's what yeah. both of our shows have <laughs> yeah. so much fun with. So yeah. I kind of wanted to ask, like, what are you guys' favorite just what is even happening continuity bits from, like, the comics we've been covered? Oh, well, I brought mine. Mine is not from a comic we've covered. <laughs> so folks who do not know who this hat belongs to, this is Mike Murdoch's hat. Mike Murdoch. So, uh, how many of you? How many of you are familiar with with Matt Murdock, with Daredevil? How many of you are familiar with the fact that literally no one in the Marvel universe makes worse personal decisions than Matt Murdock? <laughs> so, during the Silver Age, Spider-Man found out who Daredevil was and accidentally outed his secret identity to Foggy Nelson and Karen Page, his office mates. And uh, Matt, instead of doing any of the things that you might think would make sense, decided instead to make up a sighted identical twin named Mike and say that Mike was Daredevil. <laughs> and, 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 and Mike was in fact Matt wearing a, this douchey white fedora <laughs> and a pair of wraparound glasses and um, being really obnoxious and ardently sexually harassing any women around him. And <laughs> Which is a pretty good way to blend in during the blonde process. Yeah, soldier. yeah, that yeah. was, that was, yeah. Um, and this, it, Mike also sort of is is the earliest bit of what are what would grow into Matt's increasing issues with 
dissociative identities and other stuff and sort of is a precursor of that. There are there are points where he is like four or five different people and it's really awkward and yeah. Anyway, early Daredevil is, is a trip. Um, there's there's someone on Tumblr uh, who, who tumbles as, as Plucky Redhead who does Daredevil 101 posts that are very much like the written equivalent of what we do that I highly recommend and they're, they're delightful. Um, but in later comics, especially in the Mark Wade run, you see the matte disguise, which is the hat and the, the sunglasses, um, on a mannequin head in the back of the Nelson and Murdoch office. <laughs> oh and Miles and I started doing video reviews, and I wanted the mannequin head, the the matte mannequin or the Mike mannequin head. So I, I made the hat, and I found the shades, and I got the mannequin <laughs> head. And I, I've lost the shades, but I, I do still have the hat. So I have I have the relic of Mike Murdoch, which I can also wear and be my own obnoxious Holy twin crap, brother. Jay just disappeared, and now his identical twin brother is here. Hey, what? that was so <laughs> sudden. <laughs> hey, pals, want to oh. go to a sideshow and? I don't, I don't remember. What is he? <laughs> I don't know. Mike's, I totally want to go to a sideshow. Um, Let's go. Just don't sexually harass anyone. Anyway, we're there. and then and then Matt kills Mike off, but is really really blasé about it. <laughs> like, Karen and Foggy come come over. Like, are you okay? And he's like, Yeah, let's get back to work. <laughs> and he just won't talk about Mike again. Fucking daredevil. So, <laughs> I know. So yeah, the increasingly poor decisions of, of Matt Murdock. Oh. But um, but that is one of my two favorites. My other favorite is that somewhere out in deep space, there is a set of clones of Brood Era X-Men, who are still out there and still alive, whom everyone has forgotten. They appeared in one issue in the mid-80s. They've never been mentioned again. They've never been back. And only Ilyana Rasputin knows about them. And uh, the version of Ilyana that died. So, like, as far as I know, nobody knows about them. But this, Marvel, if you're listening, are you there, Marvel? It's us, two podcasts. Uh, we want to talk to you about periods. We want to talk to you about periods <laughs> and about the brood period of the X-Men. Eh? See? What oh, I oh, oh, are we calling them sagas now? Yes, Al Ewing, I know that you live for this stuff. Just do it. Marvel no, lets you do anything. I just, so I, I love this, and I love, and it's such a big thing to forget. Mm. There is a set of X-Men with, with the X-Men's memories. There's, let's see, it's, um, what, Cyclops, Colossus, Shadowcat, Nightcrawler. Storm, Wolverine. Storm, and Wolverine. They have a spaceship. They were brood-infested. They no longer are. They have all of the memories and all of the training of the X-Men of that era, and they've decided they're going to be space superheroes. They're way out in deep space. They're really far. They can't get. They they're too far to get back to Earth, and they're just out there somewhere. <laughs> and they've been out there somewhere for the last thirty years. <laughs> uh, wh what about you guys? What have you guys found in like Teen Titans or, or Defenders that is just particularly bonkers or has really grabbed you? Like I figure we should sort of each do whatever jumps out at okay. us. Okay, Corey, I know you had one. I I definitely have one in mind. Sure. Yeah, and I touched on this with the trivia, and it's from issue number 38, where there's not just one weird thing that happens, but <laughs> a series of weird, and to me, really comical things. Um, probably the most normal of which is a small child accidentally runs into a cage containing a moose <laughs> and um, needs to be rescued by an arrow that Speedy shoots, which uh, has moose antlers that traps the moose so the child can be extracted from the cage. <laughs> yeah, moose they with just moose. had aluminum moose antler arrows in case for when they went to visit the moose exhibit at the zoo. It's, yeah, it's apparently a moose zoo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's like the, the baseline of weird or normal, I don't know, for this comic. Another thing that happens in the same issue is uh, Aqualad is, he's not really homeschooled, he's at some sort of a 
Uh, he's been enrolled in an eighth grade class. He had been homeschooled previously. Is, is that the one that sea creatures helped him cheat to get into? Yes. Yes. That Aqualad helped, or Aquaman helped sea creatures. Yeah. Help Aqualad cheat on a test to get into school. Yep. And he, he so he, yeah, Aquaman hooks up Aqualad via you know their psychic link to sea life to answer all these test questions. That's another slightly weird thing. <laughs> the weirdest thing that happens, and I think, is there's you know, it's, it took some moral flexibility for the folks to come up with this, and it's um, that uh, Lilith from the team who has psychic abilities teams up with um, Mr. Jupiter. Mm-hmm. as you like to say, the richest and therefore most trustworthy man in the world. Yes. <laughs> to fill balloons with hallucinogenic drugs and hand those out uh, to the Teen Titans so that they have bad fever dreams, let's say, which allow them to conquer certain fears that they have. Is well, they wander Randy around the Savage city. there to help them? Oh, sadly, that's, no. That's, thing, that's, no. That's why it's irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> No, he just dresses up as a creepy old balloon vendor and sells these hip young teens balloons, which they are very eager to receive, saying, I believe this creeps like something out of an old horror movie. Yeah, but his balloons are definitely today. Um, And then they get dosed and wander around New York confronting their greatest fears. It's a delight. It's maybe... It's my favorite comic book ever. (laughs) The only one that comes close is when Mal, a Mal Duncan, an unpowered teenager, gets into a fight with Azrael, the Archangel of Death, who punches him in the dick, but still loses the fight to this unpowered teenager. And as a prize, he is granted a magical ram's horn that when he blows on it, it will even the odds of any fight that he is in. And then he goes on to play this shofar in a rock band. (laughs) (laughs) At their own club. Yeah, at their club that they own, which is their secret headquarters. Having grown up Jewish and thus being exposed to shofars and knowing what they sound like, which is sort of like a... Like, like, like a biological air horn, kind of. That, that just makes it sound like flatulence, but it's not. It's different. Uh, I want to I see this rock show. Yeah, uh, who, who wouldn't? The Great Frog is no joke, man. Seriously. To Key York. <laughs> Transliterated. That's the sound um, of the show. But in terms of continuity snarls, you don't come up against many that are bigger than Wonder Girl's very extant. Oh. Um, I see some of you are familiar. <laughs> yep. So she first shows up in Brave and the Bold number 60. It's the second appearance of the Teen Titans and the first time that they get called that. And she just shows up with the team at the beginning of the adventure. They say, yeah, we decided to call our friend Wonder Girl, who we all know, of course, Wonder Girl. Everybody, Wonder Girl. Yeah, we all know Wonder Girl. That's Wonder Girl's first appearance. (laughs) There had been a character who had been called Wonder Girl who was like Superboy is to Superman. Like it was Wonder Girl when she was, or Wonder Woman when she was a teenager. Bob Haney just kind of didn't do any research as to whether or not that was an actual character, and just was like, it would be like if somebody took the cover of a What If and was like, oh, I guess Spider Man's part of the Fantastic Four. Cool. <laughs> uh, then I will write this entire comic book based on the fact that Spider Man is a member of the Fantastic Four. So she just gets put on the team. Uh, there's one of my favorite panels in that is you see Wonder Girl waving goodbye to Hippolyta and Wonder Woman who are standing right next to each other and saying, bye mom. 
because I think they didn't know which character was supposed to be her mom. <laughs> it's like, if we put them near each other, we don't have to figure that out for another like three issues. And everybody just rolled with the fact that it's like, okay, I guess there's a Wonder Girl now, and uh, she's Wonder Woman's sister, maybe? Then later on, like issue 18 of the comics, Wolfman writes an origin for Wonder Girl. I'm sorry, I think it was actually issue 21. Uh, he writes an origin for Wonder Girl, and her origin is she gets rescued by Wonder Woman from a burning building. Um, and then she's a regular kid who then gets taken to Themyscira. The, Amazon use, the Amazons use a purple ray on her, which is basically magnetism in that it can do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it gives her Amazonian powers, and that's why she has powers. And she's Wonder Woman's adopted sister, which is where we are now in the continuity, but she doesn't know who her parents are. She also, at that point, is given a alter ego, the name Donna Troy, which means, that the, and her Teen Titan teammates name her that. They're like, oh, well, we'll call you that. So she was adopted by the Amazonians for 15 years or so, and they never named her. <laughs> Dick move. Then crisis happens and everything goes all to shit because it turns out that Wonder Woman didn't exist either uh, at that time. So it wasn't Wonder Woman that rescued her from the building. It was Rhea, one of the original Titans, which makes the fact that Rhea's husband later mind wipes Donna and seduces her, which is super creepy to begin with. Even creepier because we find out that they helped raise her. Uh, it becomes this whole crazy nightmare of bullshit where she's an actual old mythological Titan Sort of. She's one of the Titan seeds. It doesn't make any goddamn sense, but is, it's is kind Nightmare, of magical. Wasn't Nightmare of, Nightmare of Bullshit um, an Ed Wood movie? <laughs> <laughs> I have this theory that in the comic book universe, Ed Wood is considered a great auteur yeah. because he writes yeah. the way people talk. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So how are we on time? Is there, is there something? Uh, we, we, have, um, we have nine minutes. So Wait, I mean, oh yeah, so we've, we've been answering each other's questions, sort of interviewing each other. If you have questions you would like to ask us, there is a microphone in the middle of the room at which you can line up. If you would like to ask a question and you are having trouble getting to the microphone, raise your hand and we will make sure that the microphone gets to you. Um, and as people are preparing their bravery to do so, which they should totally do, yes. I was going to talk about Nate Gray, X-Man, and his deal continuity-wise, but that would take probably an entire panel. So instead, <laughs> I'll just talk about one of the things I love. I mean, Summer's family bullshit is a oh, so whole other, whole other uh, place. But I always love, in doing research for the show, finding out what might have been. Yes. So, like, Chris Claremont, who wrote the X-Men for 17 years and basically defined their modern incarnation, he his writing run stopped very abruptly in the early 90s thanks to, well, a lot of stuff. But hearing about his individual plans for certain things, about, for instance, the origin of Mr. Sinister and Gambit, is fascinating knowing what didn't happen to them later. Apparently, there was a kid in the orphanage that Cyclops grew up in named Nathan, who was kind of a jerk, but also was a very powerful mutant, and his ability was... Uh, <laughs> Nebulous. Nebulous, but something along the lines... It involved could, mind control. Well, mind control, but he could also put his put himself out into these independent entities. And bodies, the evil side people. of... Uh, the evil side of this child became Mr. Sinister, and the good side became Gambit. Oh, 
which yeah, makes this is sense. The original intention. When you think about the fact that this kid was maybe like you know 11, 12, 13 years old, so of course a villain named Mr. Sinister with a great big floopy cape and like white skin and a red diamond on him and vampire teeth who was always glamming around. God, I love Mr. Sinister. Would be the best way to be evil. And of course, a floppy-haired pseudo Cajun <laughs> kind of sleazy sexual harassing guy with a pink no, breastplate and metal I... boots who's an ultimate thief would be the, the ultimate cool for a 13-year-old Here's the thing. Guy. I don't think that would be the ultimate cool for a kid who didn't grow up reading or watching X-Men in the 90s. Like, I think we might have a Gambit time loop here. So Gambit had to, Gambit did travel in time. There was the Children of the Atom thing. Oh, I know. And there was there was the True Sun thing. We did a cold open. So he's part it. of a recursive loop? Yes. He where is, he the inspired himself he is, But Mr. Sinister is also part of multiple recursive loops. And the entire Summers family is a recursive loop. So, um... The Summers family is... <laughs> oh, we don't have time for the Summers family. Oh, no, family. we don't. Um, <laughs> so the, the Summers family, if, if you come back to our table, we can do we can explain this fast. But what I would instead recommend d doing is Googling Dear Mr. Sinister, which is a 39-verse song that uh, T. Fugner, Scott Koblish, and I wrote about the Summers family. <laughs> um, it is from Havoc's perspective. It's very sad. <laughs> but it, it, it does involve the word parthenogenesis, which I'm very proud of having worked into a song. Very nice. <laughs> so my... Yeah, I was going to say... I. So, yeah, the might have beens are, are are really really cool. I just I love the details. I love the way that modern creators and people who grew up loving that stuff take this weird aimless chaos and try to build forms out of it. Like I bitch about retcons like every single other comics reader, but I also love them. I love what they're trying to do, and I love the intent that goes into them. I think they're awesome. They're kind of magical. I they're I love really the brilliant. idea that not only can they be seeds that artists have planted, but just like a future artist finding this random widget and MacGyvering it into something beautiful. Yeah, it reminds me of going through going through junk with like a young kid who finds things and is like, and you're like, oh, well, that's kind of a, that's like a broken toy and it's kind of awful. And they're like, no, no, this is a spaceship. I've got and hot glue. With, <laughs> I've got hot, and, and you know, come up with this whole narrative story and value in it and it's so rad. Like, yes. Sorry. You've question. got questions. Oh, yes. yes. Fast. Well, I just uh, I have this experience listening to your podcasts, and I'm wondering if you have similar experiences. I remember. I mean, I'm old enough that I read a lot of these comics when they came out, and I don't remember them being this insane. <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, particularly the Teen Titans. <laughs> and I listen to your synopsis, and I go, "What the hell is going on? I don't. Did I black out as a child? <laughs> and like." Do you, uh, it probably doesn't apply to Corey because he's coming to a lot of this for the first time, but for the rest of you, like, are you, do you have this sort of same cognitive dissonance of having read the stuff back in the day when you were younger and now you come to it and you're like, what? Um, most of the comic books that we're covering, I read for the first time as an adult. I have read them okay. before, but also, Yes, I totally do have that because by rereading it with a focus on the details, mm -hmm. you're forced to mm -hmm. think about things that you would just take for granted, like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, I guess they traveled back through time. Whereas every single detail of that is just like, I need to look at the sentence that I just wrote down. And part of what the synopsis ends up being is me being like, wait, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> My experience is effectively the opposite of that. Um, I'm coming into a lot of this stuff as an adult because as a kid I had a lot of trouble with kids' media um, because I am on the autism spectrum and I suspension of belief is something that for me takes active effort and took a degree of maturity to even really understand as a thing. 
and I can now read those and not get absolutely stuck in the, that is not feasible, that doesn't make sense, those things don't connect, and sort of recognize the intent with which they're written and just have fun with them in ways that I absolutely could not have as a kid. On the other hand, I have, I have, I have known enough kids to <laughs> and seen enough normal kids that I've, I'm always sort of amazed at the things that, that kids will just take at face value and just be like, yes, this is how it is, which is, is, is always why I'm always baffled when parents are like, how will I explain two men getting married to my kids? It's like, have you ever heard a kid explain SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be fine with, they're going to, like, two, two, two dudes getting married, they're going to be like, okay, sure. I mean, I was a kid when Executioner's song came out, and I was just like, yeah, okay, this, sure, of course. <laughs> As you do. Right. Uh, cool, next question. Hi, Jay brought up earlier, like, the need for critical um, analysis, and that's a valid point in comic books that hasn't really been tapped and overlooked, and I do think it's valid. That's not the point. My question is, now that you are becoming this resource for people, once they recognize that, have you gone to, say, college courses and talked about it in front of classes? And if not, are you ready? <laughs> um, I have. I have. So my, my background is actually in higher education. Before I ran away to make comic books, I was the director of an undergraduate writing center. And um, I do a lot of speaking and a lot of speaking and working with folks in education. And actually, there is a panel. Um, is Andrea here? Yes, maybe somewhere. Um, no, so um, there is there is there is a, a professor and a, a comic scholar named Andrea Gilroy who puts together a fantastic panel at Emerald City Comic Con every year. That's a group of people who do work in in who do creative and fan and academic work in comics at the same time. And there's more and more overlap. There's more and more academic study of comics and the culture around them and fan studies. And yeah, it's, it's really fun. And it's, it's really fun to get to talk about that and to get to discuss those critically in those different contexts. In answer to the first part of your question, no, I have not yet. But in answer to the second part, I'm wearing a mustard turtleneck with a tweed jacket with elbow pads. <laughs> I should have ask if I'm ready? Obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If we're fast, we can do one more question. Yes. Based on the participants in this panel, is there a way to rationalize the continuity of the 80s Titans X-Men team-up that there can is. still make it valid within current continuity? So technically it takes place in a separate universe. It, it has a Marvel multiversal de designation, which I don't remember off the top of my head. But you can actually mesh it pretty well into continuity if you just say, well, and the team's pretty much forgot about it because w it was an adventure of the week. The specific point that I would work with primarily if I were doing that is the fact that it's technically the canonical first time you see Cyclops host the Phoenix Force. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wh what he said. <laughs> <laughs> and I do that a lot. Also, <laughs> it's, it's definitely the basis of my complex theory involving um, Darkseid actually being Santa Claus. <laughs> Read between the lines, people. I'm not a Christmas person. I believe it was also <laughs> the first time they mentioned the source wall. Oh, was that I the first time, really? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think I read that it was like, that was the first time they actually showed the source wall in any comic. It, maybe the source was there before, but I don't know if they had ever done like, showed the wall the way it's been depicted mm -hmm. and subsequently. But yeah, you could, it's, it's never actually been worked into the main continuity of either universe because it's officially a standalone timeline, but it absolutely could be, and there are a lot of avenues for it. 
and I, I get, we have just seen the sign that we are out of time. The Emicron crystal has hit, and we're all going to crystallize. Very um, quickly, um, uh, tighten up the defense. Where can folks find you online? Oh, shucks. We're all up in the internet. Uh, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcast, your podcatcher of choice. If you'd like to send me an email, you can do so at ttwasteland.gmail.com. I'm under Twitter under a similar name, and i uh, got Facebook pages and Tumblr pages and such. And we are explainthexmen.com. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, et cetera. Um, if you come to table CC07, we're not in the program, but we're tabling with Tyler and Mott Crook. Uh, we have stickers that have that information on it. Um, and I think this is going to go up on your feed, so yeah. Cool. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you there. In the meantime, thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you guys very yeah. much. Oh, we'll also be in the moon, the stars Venus, Pluto, Saturn. Yeah, looking down, covering all the bases. <laughs> so check there as well. Thanks, guys. The Tower of Power, too sweet to be sour, funky like a monkey. Oh, yeah. Get down. I've been everywhere in between. I am your friend. I am the macho man.